thank you for the reminder of what a powerful name, the name of Jesus is. Amen to that. Well, if you could turn with me to Revelation 16, that's where we'll be picking up today from where we left off. But right now, I think it's exciting as we get to this stage because we're looking at, at the last stages of God's wrath. So that we're genuinely in the 11th hour as we look at, at human history. And if, if you remember, all the way back, God said he would unveil his wrath against the world in seven seals, like a scroll with seven seals. And we walked through each of the first six of those seals to find out that the seventh seal was actually what? There'd be seven more, more plagues that would uh, come on the earth, and they were, they were called the seven trumpets. And so we walked through six of those seven trumpets to find out that the last trumpet became what? The seven bowls of God's wrath. And it's important to, to remember from back in chapter 15, what we read in verse 1, we, he saw, we, we read this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. It's important to catch that. The last plagues means this is the end of it. It says, For in them the wrath of God is complete. So this is the end of it. This is going to be the, the finality of it. This is the grand finale that we talked about uh, a while back. So now let's jump ahead back to chapter 16 where we left off verse 1. And see what we, what we find there. We read this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of, wrath, of the wrath of God on the earth. I think it's important just to remember in, in context here that when it comes to these wraths, the, 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 the last part of God's wrath, we had already talked about how they, they're going to come in rapid succession. Right? Before this, you'd get these little ones, and they're, they're, they're coming along. And, and, but here we get in there. Now it's in rapid succession. And we talked about it, it kind of like uh, the, the fireworks on, on, on the 4th of July. You kind of have three stages. And, and the first stage with the, the, the first six of the seals, that's kind of like the pre-show. You know what I'm talking about? The pre-show where it's, it's you, know, you know, pow, ah, right? Remember that? You have a couple of those. And then you have the actual show where it's like, pew, 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 pop, 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 ah, 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 right? You know, now we're at the, the grand finale. And you know what the grand finale is like? It's like, pew, 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 ah, boom, 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 ah, right? And it's, everyone thinks it's awesome, right? It, it's great. And uh, so it, and it, and, and, and in a sense, that's what we're finding. We've got these, the seals and, 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 and God's doing some plagues against the earth, reminding them, hey, I'm still here, right? And then you've got the, the seven trumpets, and, and it's very clear. This is, this is it. This is God that's here. And now what we find in this rapid succession, you're going to find that these bowls of wrath are, are just the, the grand finale of God's wrath being poured out on the earth at this point. And they're going to happen in, in rapid succession. In fact, they'll be... Uh, They'll be going through and suffering from the, the earlier plagues at the, or, uh, at the same time as the later plagues because they're all still happening in rapid su uh, succession here. And so let's, with that in mind, let's look at what these are. We're going to look at the first six of those, of those bowls today. Look at verse 2. We read this. So the first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. So this first bowl of wrath is the loathsome sores or boils 
Um, I, I, I throw the word boils in here too, just to make it easier to connect it to some of the things going on in the Old Testament. In fact, when the Greek, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, there's a Greek translation of that called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, when they translate the Old Testament words for boils, it's the exact same word that we find in the Greek Bible for, uh, for these loathsome sores. And so there's a, a, a distinct connection between some of the Old Testament plagues and some of what's going on uh, here as well. And so uh, we find in, in, in the boils of Egypt in Exodus 9. Remember the plagues against Egypt? And one of those was this boil. And, and then we find that... Uh, same word used for Job, for example. And usually it just means that it's a mark that there are some worse plagues coming. Right? So these are plagues that, that affect you in worse ones. But I find what's interesting, if you look at the first two, who got the boil? Only those who received the mark of the beast. Right? So God does this in a very distinct way. When you think of like some kind of infectious disease, you might think of it as, as spreading in geographical locations or in some types of diseases, maybe spreading among certain people, certain lifestyles where, uh, you know, like, for example, drug usage or whatever, and they're sharing needles. And you can find that there are different things that go amongst different people in different ways. But here, this is by beliefs. You don't typically think of some type of physical ailment being spread based on beliefs. But that's exactly what's going to happen here. We're going to have people who, who have followed the, the, the dragon and the beast and the, and the, the antichrist and the false prophet, and, and they're following the ways uh, uh, that we know belo that belong to Satan, and they are the ones that, that are going to receive the, this loathsome source on their body. And this is just getting started. Verse 3. Let me read this. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and, this, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. So bowl number two, the sea turns to blood. Now it could be, this could be very literal. I mean, this is revelation. And, and so it's hard to uh, sometimes distinguish between what's being a literal or a figurative uh, ex explanation here. But the idea is that the sea is going to turn to blood or turn red maybe as, uh, as blood. But something is going to happen to the sea in such a way that all of the life of the sea will die. That's huge when you think about it. When you think all of the life of the sea, first of all, the life of the sea has an impact on us. And it's, it goes way beyond just the, the fact that we like to eat fish, right? I mean, but that's part of it. Fish will be gone. When you think of all the plankton in the sea and the oxygen that the plankton provides in the world, gone. All of the, all of the creatures of the sea, gone. Well, you do realize that at the end of the Bible, what we're finding is that everything is being undone that God did back in the beginning. Do you remember when God created the sea? All the way, you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and you read, and, and, and the, the sea in the, in the, throughout all of human history has always been this reservoir of life, and it's teeming with life, Right? But when we get to the end, because of what sin has been doing through human history, when we get to the end, we're going to find that, that that reservoir of life is going to become a grave. Right? It's going to become a grave. And it says this is going to be one of the bowls. God is going to allow it to become a grave. Look at verse 4. 
Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. So bowl three is that the fresh water also is going to turn to blood. So not only will the, the seas, but eventually that's going to trickle down, and, and in some fa fashion it's going to happen as well to, uh, to, to the rivers and to the springs of water, and they're also going to turn, uh, turn in. So the plague's not just going to affect your coastal cities anymore or some of your coastal countries. It's now going to, to infect and, and affect everybody. Right? How many of you like to drink water or something that's made with water? Right? So, well, that's pretty good. And, and the fact that there's a few hands that didn't go up means someone's not paying attention. So give them a little nudge, wake them up. Um, they, they should be drinking something that has water. Right? Now imagine if you can't get a hold of good water. Right? You can't get a hold of good water. So first of all, if the sea's producing bad water, and, and, and I know no, we don't drink sea water anyway, um, but, but that is the water that evaporates and turns into our water. And now you get to the land. We get water from the springs and from the rivers and from the lakes. And guess what? That, too, is going to be contaminated. So where do, you get, where do you get good water? You don't. Can you imagine how difficult life would be right now if you couldn't get a hold of good water? Remember, I mean, the Flint water crisis would seem small compared to what's going on on a global scale. And I'm not making light of the Flint water crisis. Right? And so you look at that and you say, wow, global scale, major problems. I find it interesting that right in the midst of this, it's very easy to say, wow, boy, this just seems rough. Doesn't it seem rough? Like God is, God is really, you know, really pouring out his wrath. Is this fair? Is this just? And what we have is a little break in scenery right here. And from this point, all, everything we've read so far is about what's going on here on the earth there's a little change in scene, and we see what's going on in heaven. Look at verses 5 and 6. We read this. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. And it would be very easy at this point to, to think, boy, what an angry God, right? I mean, man, he's a, he's a difficult God. And you know what you're finding, too, is in Hollywood, you're finding more and more to, to make it sound like, like God is the evil one, setting people up to feel like it's, it's us versus God. Isn't that true? I, I, I remember when the, the movie Noah came out, and when it came out on video, I thought, I just wonder what the world have, is having to say. And I found that the movie was actually theologically accurate for almost 20 seconds. <laughs> right. I mean, it almost made that. I mean, I was thinking, if it goes any longer, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a half a minute of theological accuracy. And, um, and so you watch it. But in it, who's the bad guy in the movie? Noah. No, Noah is the bad guy. Why? Be, because he's on God's side, and God is the one who who wrongfully kicked those poor demons out of heaven, right? That's, that's the reality. And you know what? The world is setting, trying to set us up to be us versus God, right? They're ready. They're picking a fight with God, and, and, we're, and we're seeing that happen. And, and this angel reminds us of that, and he's saying, he's saying, this judgment that you're pouring out on the earth right now, he just reminds us, all of this is just. 
All of this is righteous. God, you are righteous to do this. Why? Because they killed your saints. They have consistently killed your saints. They've killed your believers, and they're going after your believers. They've been persecuting them and killing them, and they're trying to wipe them out, and they are finally getting a taste of what they deserve. And this little reminder of the bigger picture here is saying, hey, you know what? Um, um, th- they're getting what they, what they deserve. And really the point of what the angel has to say here is pretty simple. That God is righteous or just, same word in Greek there. God is righteous, just to judge the world. They deserve it. In fact, I would take it even a step further. This is an act of love. Wait a minute, how can pouring out wrath be an act of love? It's an act of love towards his believers. It's an act of love towards his children. When he's protecting them and he's avenging the evil that has been done to them. Does that make sense? And, and so, you know, we talk about the, the wrath of God in the book of, of, of Revelation. But we also see the love of God in the Revelation. And so this angel reminds us all that what God's doing right now is right. It is deserved, and it is, this is just an act of, of justice being done. And you know who would agree with him? You know who would agree? I'll tell you exactly who. Look at the very next verse, verse 7. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. It's interesting here. It does not say another angel. It just says another. In the context, that means another voice came. Where did that voice come from? The altar. Right? Came from the altar. In context, who's at the altar? Remember? I heard it over here. The martyrs. The martyrs. So here this angel says, they, this, everything that's happening here on earth, everything that's going on right here on earth, that all this wrath of God is deserved, it is right, and it is just, because they persecuted and they killed God's people. And then some of those very same people who had been killed by them, one of them says, amen to that brother. That's my translation. <laughs> he says, amen. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Absolutely just is God. And that's what we find here. This, it's just right on. And, uh, and so this is important for us to understand, right? It's important for us to understand because if someone were to jump to the context of the bowls here and they just start reading all of this, this wrath, they can easily misunderstand God's intentions. And uh, they, they have to understand that at this point in human history, too, things are as bad as they, they're going to get. They're, they're as, as bad as they've ever been through human history. And only the worst of the worst are still alive at this point, Right? Only the worst of the worst are still alive. So here are the people that are left on earth. They know that God exists. They know who, that, that, he, that, he's, uh, uh, that he's a real God, and they hate him. They hate him. They hate him so much they want to kill anyone who loves him. And God says at this point, enough. Enough. So the idea of, what the, of what's being said, the idea is that punishment fits the crime. That's what it means to be just or righteous in your judgments. Well, then it goes back in, and we start uh, so, uh, looking at a few more of these bowls of God's wrath. Look at verse 8. We read this. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. So bowl number four is the scorching sun. 
Again, when you think about it, the sun acts as a giver of life. Right? How long would we live if the sun just ceased to exist? I heard a scientific explanation once that said, and they estimated somewhere around 400 seconds, and there would be no life left on Earth without the sun. Imagine that. So the sun is the this giver of life that was created by God to sustain our life, and something's going to happen to the sun. We don't know exactly what, uh, ex exactly how this is going to happen. In fact, we don't even know if mankind may play a role in this. It could be God allowing mankind to do something that destroys the ozone layer. But in any case, somehow we're going to have this, this, this unfiltered, uh, no protection from the sun. And it's going to be scorching and it's going to be hot. And, I, and I'm not talking about a 90 degree day in Michigan. I'm talking it's going to be a scorching hot day uh, or, uh, in, uh, or heat that comes. And it's going to be, it's going to be nasty, right? This scorching heat. But I find what's interesting is it comes in verse 9. How do men respond to this? Verse 9. And the men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of him who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Look at that. They did not repent and give him glory. You'd think that at some point they'd say, we're going the wrong way. You know, we, we've been hating God all this time, but instead we should have been giving him glory for all of the gifts. You know, and, and what does God do? He's just pulling out some of the gifts that he's been giving them the whole time. Right? They're blaspheming God, and what, and what does he do? He provides them a son so that they could live. And so what does God do? Well, I'm just going to pull that little filter of protection, and you're going to be scorched with the sun for a little bit. And instead of saying, oh man, we should have been thankful, what do they do? They blaspheme God. They don't repent, and they never give him the glory that is due to him. And so you see that the, the idea that God is, is pouring out his wrath on all these poor, helpless people on the earth who just simply didn't know he existed, uh, that's a false narrative. That's fake news, my friend, right? If there ever is such a thing, it's fake news. That is it. They claim that God didn't exist. I think this is interesting. They always they claim that God didn't exist. They claim that they had no need for God because they wanted to ascend into the, into the heights, right? And they, they claim all these things, but guess what? When it comes time for them to experience the wrath, they know what's going on. And who do they blaspheme? The name of God. It's like, wait a minute, I thought you said God didn't exist. But when he does an action you don't like, you're mad at him. So which is it? Does he exist or doesn't he exist? Right? I mean, we, there are lots of people I don't believe exist. So I can't hate them. Right? You'll never see me with a sign saying there's you know, no such thing as a tooth fairy. Or, I'm not, why? Because it doesn't bother me. Because I, I just don't think he exists. I hope I didn't ruin that for anybody. So... <laughs> so uh, but, but that's the nature. And, it, and what, what I find interesting, too, is what do they do? They're blaspheming the name of God. They're blaspheming the name. So it's interesting that everyone on the earth is beginning to sound like somebody. Because I've heard that word blaspheme somewhere in the book of Revelation, haven't you? I mean, so who are they beginning to sound like? Well, if you look at the blasphemers in the book of Revelation, so far there have been three people that have been said to have been blasphemers. 
in the book of Revelation. The first one is, is Satan. Literally, it says the dragon, right? So Satan. Who else has been a blasphemer? You've got the Antichrist speaking blasphemous things, right? And then you have the false prophet. All of these are the blasphemers in Scripture or in the book of Revelation up to this point. And now, who's the blasphemer? The entire world. It's interesting that the, the entire world is starting to follow, uh, follow what their father has always been doing. And, and it reminds me of what Jesus said back in John 8. Do you remember in John 8 when, when people were, were misbehaving? He said, you are of your father, the devil. That is not a great way to start a conversation unless you're Jesus, right? <laughs> but he just spoke with authority. And he told him, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your of of, and, you, and the desires of your father you want to do. You're just acting like your father. Who's your father? Your father is the devil. The Jews, by the way, did not want to hear that. The Jews who thought that they were following God the Father, the ones who rejected Jesus Christ, why did they reject Christ? Because they were following their father, the devil. At this point in history, every man is following their father, the devil, and the antichrist, and the false prophet. And so when things get bad, who do they, what do they do? They blaspheme the name of God. They blaspheme him. By the way, this, this betrays their own hearts. When they say, oh, we don't believe God exists, this betrays that because they, would, they start to blaspheme him. Look at verse 10. Move on to the, the fifth bowl. Then the fifth angel poured out his, uh, uh, excuse me, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And the kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. So our fifth bowl is darkness and pain. I think it's interesting here when you look at it, the fact that it says it, that he poured the bowl onto the throne of the beast. He poured the, the, the bowl onto the throne of the beast. So this idea that this plague is actually somehow going to start where the capital is and work its way out. Right? The, th the throne is the... The, 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 the political seat of the entire thing. And you know what? There's a lot of theories on what's going to be the capital of this, this city. I don't think that we can say definitively all of them. Here's, here's, the, here's what some of the theories are. Some say that the throne is in Jerusalem because the, Jerusalem is called the great city. And this city is also called a great city. Um, so that's a possibility. And uh, um, and also, they, they think that because they will offer sacrilegious sacrifices on the altar, and that will happen. We read, we read about that. Others say that it's Rome because the entire, the entire political entity is a revival of the Roman Empire. And what was the capital of Rome during the Roman Empire? Rome, right? So uh, some say that, and that's a possibility as well. Although Rome extended and its power extended through all of, of, of what we would consider Europe and even into Eastern Europe and, and North Africa. And it, it, was, it was quite, the, 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 the breadth of Rome was quite a bit bigger than that. Others would say that it's Babylon, the city of Babylon. Why? Because not at this point, what are we finding? The, the name to the, that they're given to the entity is called the Babylon. Remember, Babylon has fallen, the angel had said. Babylon has fallen. So it's possible, even though the Babylon has become a nickname for, for all of Rome during the persecution as well. So, uh, and then the last one I've heard of, of Berlin. Right? Remember, back in Revelation 2, remember when we read about the throne of Satan? Right? That was in Pergamum. 
Well, there was one of the Antichrists by the name of Adolf Hitler who went to Pergamum. He saw the throne of Satan that was there, and, and he, he found that to be very inspiring. Makes sense now, right? He found it so inspiring that when he rose to power, the Nazis actually went to Pergamum, and they took that thing down stone by stone and rebuilt it. And you can visit it to this day in Berlin, the throne of Satan in Berlin. So is it possible that the, 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 the capital is there. It's possible. Uh, all of those are possible. I, I lean towards Babylon, and I'll explain why later, but, um, uh, but all of those are possible answers. I think that in the moment, we'll be able to tell. But here, when we look at this in context, regardless of where it begins, it's going to begin with the throne, with the political ent entity of, of, of the satanic trinity, and, and it's going to go out from there, and there's going to be this darkness, and there's going to be pain, and it's going to be very difficult. Imagine putting those two together, this darkness and pain. It's totally dark, and they're gnawing, it says they're gnawing on their tongues because of the pain, probably because of thirst, because remember, there's a huge water deficit right now. So there's a deficit of light, there's a deficit of water. Um, this is very difficult. Again, by the way, going back and undoing the very first things that God gave us. Remember day one, what did he give us? Light. Day two, what did he give us? Water. What's he doing? He's undoing the very things that he gave to us as well. By the way, the last thing is land. Those are the three things in the order of creation. Day one, two, and three. Day four, five, and six is just filling those, those elements. Filling day four, filling the, the sky with light. Day five, filling the seas with fish and the air with birds. Day, day six, filling the land with land animals. So he spends three days forming, three days filling. He does all, God is now undoing all that. And everything's falling apart. So it kind of leads us to know already what day or what the seventh bowl is going to be when we get there. But we'll get there later. But at this point, to see that this is becoming a difficult thing. And remember that they're, they're, these are happening in rapid succession. They still have the loathsome sores, right? They're still dealing with the thirst. They're still de dealing with those issues. And now yet darkness and pain. And it's not over yet. Look at verse 11. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Again, implying that they're still struggling with the earlier plagues. And they did not repent of their deeds. So they've still got their sores. They've still got, the, they, uh, 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 they're thirsty. They've got, no, they've got no light. They've got this pain. And, and they finally repent, right? Wrong. What do they do? They dig even deeper in their hatred towards God, and they blaspheme the God of heaven. Why? Because of their pains and their sores. They say, you were doing this to us. Yep, but I thought he didn't exist. <laughs> and they continue to do it. This, the notion that, that if God would just do a better job of revealing himself to the world, that they would res respond in appreciation for the life that they have and the gifts that they get. That's wrong, too. That is a false narrative. In fact, what we find in the nature of the evil of, the evil of man is this, that the more God reveals himself, the deeper their, their stubborn hatred grows. Isn't that true? And let's be honest, we've been there. If, you, if, you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can say that there was a point that that was true of me. And if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's some truth to it there as well. And they continue to blaspheme the name of God. 
of God. Here comes the sixth one. The sixth one sets us up for number seven. Look at verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates, the river Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. So bowl number six is that the Euphrates dries up. Now you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal with that? I mean, this seems like a small thing, right? I mean, compared to the things that they've been going through right now, to have another river dried up, and guess what? That river was already full of blood anyway, right? So what's the big deal with the Euphrates River drying up? And I, uh, I think the answer to that is in the second half of the verse where it says, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now this gets a little deep, so I'm going to give a little background, a little historical and geographical, geographical lesson. Is that all right? So you're willing to follow with me? So put your thinking caps on here for a moment, and, and let's take a look. This is the Middle East right now. And, uh, and so it hasn't changed too much in shape between uh, the day um, in the past or what it will look like in the future. So this is the general gist of things. This is Mesopotamia up, up in here in the ancient civilization of Mesopotamia. They had a lot of resources. You can see why, how green it, it is there. If you go down here, this is Egypt. This is where we are in the world. Egypt had technology, right? And so Egypt and Mesopotamia had, had to have a lot of interaction because when you have technology and you don't have resources, you go where there are resources. When you have resources and you don't have technology, you go where there's technology. Sandwiched between those is where we is this place called Israel, right? Which, by the way, even that I think is cool that God placed Israel in the place that they would have the most influence. There's, I could preach a whole message on that, right? But let's let's continue on. Right now, right here, this is the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River has served as a border, the north and the the northeastern border. Of the, of the promised land all through scripture. If you read Genesis 15, it, it, it lays it out, the promised land. It says that the Euphrates is the border of the promised land. Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 11, the same thing consistently. This is the border. Historically, this river has served as a natural border of protection for God's people. This has become the natural border. So, for example, remember when Babylon came across, right? When and so it's very difficult for the kings of the east, like Babylon, for example, if we uh, go back into the Babylonian captivity, um, what happens? They have to cross that river. And to get their entire army to cross that river is a big deal. It's a wide river. It's got a lot of water. Um, and, and as far as we know, it hasn't been dried up from natural causes since Genesis 2. Think about that. And so here we've got this natural border, and, and God says, I am going to dry up the Euphrates River. Why? So that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. In other words, he's going to, and in fact, I'll put it this way, God is going to remove all obstacles and permit an all-out war. He's going to remove the obstacles. He's going to say, all right, you know what? There are certain things that have kept the enemies of Israel. Historically, they've kept the enemies of Israel from attacking because they know it's difficult. They've got to get over this. They've got to do It's very difficult. And God's saying, bowl six is he's going to remove the obstacles and actually let them in. He's going to let them attack the very people that they hate, even though they're his own people. He's going to let them come in and attack 
his own people. He's going to remove those obstacles. You know, I think it's also interesting, um, another side of this, that when you think of the Euphrates drying up, did you know that right now, Iraq is building a system of dams and on, the, on the Euphrates River in order to create two things, water reservoirs, so you have some reservoirs of water, and number two, hydroelectricity. They're powering, already powering most of the Middle East through the Euphrates River. Now think about that for a moment. What happens when that dries up? That's a problem, isn't it? Think of the, the plagues that have come up so far. I mean, what, what are they, they lacking? They're lacking water and they're lacking light. Right? That's what they're missing so far, and things are tor- terrible, right? They've got pain, they, they've got the sores as well, and they're lacking water, they're lacking light, and all of a sudden, if the Euphrates dries up, what happens? You lose both of, the, you, you lose both of those things completely. Let me explain. When you lose, you lose the water from the sea, you lose the water from the rivers, then what are you surviving on? Only whatever reservoirs of water you have left. Now you go to the reservoirs, they're all dried up. Now what water are you surviving on? You don't have water. You can't get water. And it's dark. When it's dark, what do you do? You turn on your lights. You you rely on electricity. You have flashlights. Guess what happens when all of the hydroelectricity is gone? Now you don't even have lights. So it's not only dark, but you don't have electricity to turn on lights. This is going to be bad, and this is happening fast. And we see this, this consistently happening, I mean, fast, and boom, it is, it is tough. And God says, I'm going, to remove the, I'm going to remove the Euphrates River, saying, basically, I'm going to remove all obstacles, and I am going to allow the world to amass its armies and go ahead and, and attack find it fascinating. How is this war going to develop? He explains it in a little bit more detail. Look at verse 13 and 14. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So what's going on here? We've got the dragon, the beast, and we've got the false prophet. And these demons are going to be performing signs so that they can actually rally the troops of what armies? The whole world. And God is going to allow them to come and attack his people. He's going to allow all the armies to come in and attack his people. And they say, how is this a plague on the world? Because it almost sounds like that. Wouldn't that be a plague on the Israelites? Wouldn't that be a plague on the Jews? Not when you understand who's fighting on the Jews' side. In fact, in reality, he's saying, you know what I'm going to actually do? I'm going to let you attack me. In other words, God's saying, all right, come, come at me. Uh, you, you've been wanting to forever? Come at me. You can, ha- you can have me. This reminds me, actually, of a of a story of my brother Tom. Uh, for those of you who have ever met Tom, he's a pretty big guy, he's a pretty strong guy. He was a, he was a state champion wrestler. Um, and I remember back in high school, there was one guy who just hated him, and he picked on Tom like crazy. He would, he would pick on him, even physically sometimes. He would just 
constantly egg him on like he wanted Tom to throw the first punch so they could get into a fight. I don't know what this guy was thinking, right? And it all boiled down to uh, he liked the girl that liked my brother, and my brother didn't like the girl back. And it was just, you know, typical high school stuff, right? So this bully hated my brother Tom and was constantly picking it. And, and the whole time we're thinking, if this guy actually got what he wanted, he'd be in trouble, right? If he, if he, if he actually got my brother to fight back, oh, that would, it would not be pretty. And, and I remember one time uh, that the, the, the principal of the school even told him, he said, if you keep picking on him, I'm going to take the two of you up to the wrestling mats and tell Tom he has, he has free reign to do whatever he wants. And the guy kept picking on him and picking on him. I remember one time he even, he even took a shot put when they're all practicing for track and he saw that Tom wasn't looking. So he took a shot put and he threw it at my brother and hit him in the hip and, and took him out of the rest of his, of his season because of his hip injury. And he told all his friends that he did it on purpose, right? It was difficult. And, 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 but if he knew what he actually wanted, if he actually got the person he hated to start this fight, he would be in big trouble. Big trouble. In fact, the day came when he was getting upset at my brother Tom for, for nothing, and he's put, he pushed him against the lockers. And, and, my, and my brother, you got to know, he was just too nice to respond. That was the only thing saving this kid, was how nice my brother is, right? And in case my brother watches the video, you heard me say it, right? <laughs> I said you were nice. And it's true. He was just such a nice guy, and he wouldn't do it. And the, the kid ended up, he hauled out, and he punched my brother in the face. Now, if you know my brother, he can take a punch. So he still didn't stop, and he gave multiple warnings. Man, you have to stop it, or I'm going to have to defend myself. And, and he did, and it, after a couple of punches, my brother decided to respond. His response lasted less than a second, and the guy was on the floor wishing he had never bothered my brother. Right. Now, my brother's tough, right? He's not nearly as tough as God. The world is constantly poking at God and they're, they're constantly like pushing him, uh, metaphorically speaking here, but, and, and they're, they're throwing the punches and God's saying, no, don't, you know, don't do that. I, I, why? Because God is too nice. I don't mean that too nice in the sense of, uh, I mean, he's never too anything. He's perfect. But I say, they say that in the sense that from our perspective, he's just, he's, he's just too nice to respond back. He's, being, he's giving them opportunities to change. He's giving them an opportunity to respond because he loves them. Right? And, and he's turning the other cheek, so to speak. But there's going to come a day where there, the, the God will say, this is enough. And he's going to respond. And when the people actually get what they want, when they get their war and God removes the obstacles for war, then they're in for, for something they have never prepared for. I think the point of this is that the, the world wants to wage war on God. But they have no idea what's in store when they do. They have no idea what is in store when they do. So what's going to happen in the end times here? The world is going to amass armies from all over the world, and they're going to march against Jerusalem. And all the obstacles that have, been, that have prevented them in the past, they're going to be removed by God. And it's going to happen this time. But they're forgetting somewhat. They're forgetting something. They're forgetting that someone's going to show up to battle that they didn't count on. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Who's speaking here? 
Jesus is speaking here, right? Jesus is the thief who comes. And all of a sudden, uh, Jesus injects himself. He's like, oh yeah, when this happens, oh, then th- this is going to be his day. And here, all the armies of the world against, uh, against Israel, which right now is, is about the size of New Jersey. It smells a lot better than New Jersey, but it's about the size of New Jersey. And, and, and imagine it, the entire world versus them. But Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden, everything changes. Because Jesus changes everything. And you look at this verse, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Then what does Jesus say, though? Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. My interpretation of this, he's saying, Blessed is the person who can see all of this ahead of time and doesn't get caught with his pants down. Does that make sense? You don't get caught off guard here. And, and he's saying, blessed is the person who remembers, hey, when this comes, it may look like the, the, the armies of the world are going to win, but you, you have to keep in mind, Jesus is a part, Jesus is the factor, and he's the only factor that, that, that matters when it comes to this great battle of Armageddon that we're talking about. It's, it's whatever side Jesus is on wins. Punto. Right? And that's, the, that's what, what, what he's saying here. He's, don't be surprised. Um, and you know what? We don't have to be surprised by any of this. We don't have to be surprised by any of this. In fact, if you're saved right now, where are you going to be when this happens? You'll be in heaven, cheering from the altar, saying this is good and just and righteous. That'll be you. If you got saved during the, uh, during the uh, tribulation, you'll be at the altar. You'll be one of the martyrs cheering it on from heaven. If you... Uh, get saved during the, uh, the tribulation and you're still alive, you'll just know what side to join on. Right? You won't get caught without being ready. You won't be, get caught unprepared for what is about to take place. But don't be surprised. The battle, the battle is coming. And don't be surprised. Jesus wins. Look at verse 16. And they gathered them together. The arms talk about together the armies of the world together to a place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon. This is the Greek pronunciation uh, of the Hebrew Har Megiddo. Right? Har means the mountain of. Megiddo is a name of a city. It's a name of a place. Um, in fact, if you look back at the at, at the land of Israel, you could see how you'd have this, this road that would connect the two civilizations, Mesopotamia and Egypt, and that was an important road. In fact, if you can control that trade route, you can control influence all over the world, right? And, and so if you take a little closer look, the problem with that is that there's this mountain range that, that's, that comes all the way from the Mediterranean Sea up at the top where, uh, where you see Haifa, and it goes all the way down and goes through there. So you, somehow you got that Via Maris, they call it, that road that goes back through there, has to come through there. And all through there, there's not a great place to cross, except for right through here, it's called now called the Megiddo Pass. There's this little three-mile valley that you can find that will actually take you through there. Guess what? The wisest king, humanly speaking, who ever lived was Solomon, Right? Solomon was smart enough to say, if I can control that three-mile plot of land, I can control influence in, in the world. So where did he place his chariot city? In this little place called Megiddo, right there. Megiddo. 
And there's a little mountain that overlooks, that overlooks the plain, that three-mile plain by which all travelers between, between Mesopotamia and Egypt had to travel at one point or another. And he could control all of that with his chariot city right there. And so it was, it was a smart place to be. Uh, it's a, it's a, an intelligent place to be. Um, but you can imagine, because of the significance of that location, that a lot of people wanted to control that. Did you know that that little three-mile valley is considered the bloodiest battlefield of all human history? And what we're learning today, it is also the bloodiest battlefield of all human future as well. And it represents, it represents the, 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 the influence in the entire world and what's taking place right there. And God says, when it all comes to a head, it's going to come to, to, to a head. Where? At Har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo. Well, not only that, this is a mountain range. You know what the mountain range is called? It's called the Carmel Mountain Range. You know what the mountain that overlooks that valley is also known as? Mount Carmel. Have you heard of that before? Mount Carmel. Think Elijah. Remember when, when things came to a head with Elijah and against the prophets of Baal and the, and the, and the prophets of Asherah and, and they, they got together in the mountain of Carmel and, and they, they had a little challenge between all of this, this, this huge group of Baal worshippers 850 prophets plus all their worshipers versus Elijah. Right? Do you remember that? And so they, they do everything in their power and they cut themselves. They do all sorts of satanic rituals. They do all sorts of things trying to get, the, 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 get, to get Baal to send fire and burn up their, the, the, the sacrifice that they made. And Elijah says... Not only does he say, I'll take you on, one verse is all. Elijah says, let me dump some water on mine to make it more difficult. Oh, and you made yours out of wood? Let me make mine out of stones. And God, when Elijah cried out, sent fire from heaven, not only burnt the, the sacrifice, burnt the stones. Because God shows up. And God says, you know what? This is just a little foreshadow of something else that's going to happen at the same spot one day when all the armies of the world are going to come together against God's people and God's going to show up. Amen. Isn't that awesome? You think about that? It's just, it's cool to see what God is going to do. I'm going to save the seventh bowl for next week. Um, I'm going to look at that in, in closer detail. But when you think about what's the point of all the things that we've talked about today so far, one, I just want you to see a couple things. And first, that there's a spiritual battle going on. There's a spiritual battle that has been going on since the day that Lucifer said, I want to be like the Most High. And some of, his, some of God's angels said, yeah, we want to be up there too. And they followed him and they rebelled from God.